Well, hello, my little lovelies. You're very welcome back to Pontification after we missed you so much for our winter break. So welcome back to you guys. Welcome back to the beautiful and alluring Chase Nova. Oh, thank you so much, my... Oh, what are you calling yourself this week? You never said. Welcome back to me, Mr. McCant. (laughs) Mr. McCant. I like that. That's nice. Um, I assume... I assume after Christmas we've all lost a bit of money, so we want to make some, don't we? Oh my god, if you don't get to the sponsors, I'm dying out here, I'm starving. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. Oh, I'll get you three pairs of shoes. Well, three shoes, but that'll do. I mean, it's a weird baby, but I love him anyway. (laughs) So, Pontification is brought to you by The Overwhelming Odds. You have a task to complete, but every single one of your brain cells is screaming, This is too much. Well, now you have an excuse. Allow us to introduce the overwhelming odds. You can't possibly get a new job, change your life, or be better. You're just you, and that's just fine. The overwhelming odds. Definitely a real thing, and not something your mind made up. Honestly, after the amount of money I've poured into therapy, it's about damn time the overwhelming odds start paying me back. (laughs) Mm. They're going to sort you out. You're going to get so much therapy, you're going to get too healthy. (laughs) You're going to lose your creative spark. I'm going to, you know, start going around offering other people unsolicited advice. Oh, wait. (laughs) Never mind. That's what I do now. (laughs) Well, also, Pontification is brought to you by the big screen. You may have heard about the big screen from your little screen. You may also have bought a new little screen for Christmas, which has informed you all about events that have taken place on the big screen after they have been compressed down to morally stringent chunks that your little screen can comprehend. But the big screen is back. Turn on the big screen. The revolution will not be shown there, but the new series of Cobra Kai is bleeding whopper-like. Bleeding whopper. Love it. I'm enjoying Cobra Kai. Have you done Cobra Kai? No, but I've never seen the Karate Kids, so I don't know if I can. I watched it once as a kid and couldn't remember it, and i got to say, that show holds the fuck up. Okay. Um, but Good anyway, let's carry on. This week, Pontification is very strangely sponsored by Knitting. Have you ever dreamed of stabbing a spouse? Yes. Wounding that waste of space at Woolworths? Yes. Poking that prick at the petrol pump? Yes! What about cutting that cunt at the Carphone Warehouse? A thousand times yes! (laughs) Well, then you should try knitting. Knitting is the new fantastic way to take all of your stabbing urges and turn them into creating a hat or a scarf or a tiny doll of your enemies for experimental voodoo chicanery. Knitting, the artistic alternative to violence. You say that like it's a joke, but I have knitted all of those things. (laughs) Even the voodoo doll? It wasn't a voodoo doll. I'm not a practitioner of voodoo. In that it didn't work. But it was intentionally a knitted doll that represented someone in my life. Okay, okay. But let's be very clear here. We need to still get that money, and this is a government contract for our final sponsor. Ooh, spicy. Tell you. Mm. And finally, Pontification is brought to you by the COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccine is here. We are on our way back to normality. And due to the spread of misinformation, the Irish government have asked me to take the vaccine live on air. So here we go, little prick. Ah. Now, as you can hear, listeners, there's absolutely no change in my demeanour or ability to squeak queerly. I am fleeting perfectly thimble and I'm experiencing faux side effects pot foever. Tet de Flaxine, Flop the Spreed and Pave Knives, the Vokid 19 Caxfine, Pure All in This Flew Gather. <laughs> I mean, ironically, that's what I hear when anti vaxxers talk, so. So you just hear nonsense? Yeah. Actually, mostly I hear, wah, wah, I'm a stupid baby. So. <laughs> common enough, common enough. Yeah. Um, how are you? How are um, things, Emma? Are, are you being facetious? No, no, very serious. How are you? As well you know, dear, I have COVID, so (laughs) I'm not great. I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad now, to be fair. I'm I'm very lucky. I got a very mild dose. I think I'm over the worst of it. But yeah, in general, I would say that, you know, it's no crack. Yeah. Mm. Have you, can you, can you give us a run through? Tell us about it. How did you get it, first of all? Um, Oh, I got it from my mom. I just... I lost a run of myself. It was Christmas. I was 28 at the time. So I sat on my mother's lap, (laughs) kissed her forehead, tenderly stroked her face and told her what a good mammy she is. 
Then she's like, oh, that's very weird. Get off my fucking lap, you adult. I was like, yeah. I like the way she was like, oh, that's very strange. Here, have a fucking virus. <laughs> exactly. Do you want to know the worst part? Yeah. Okay, so Christmas 2019, like, my mom got me a really good gift. She gave me tickets to go and see the Pixies, which obviously mm. was cancelled due to the pandemic. So for Christmas 2020, she doubled down and gave me fucking COVID. Like, oh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, yeah, I got COVID inside my support bubble. Like there's five yeah. of us, five people, including me. I haven't seen anyone else. I've been so responsible. I've been so careful. Still fucking got it. Happy 2021. Yeah, there's a lot of swear words that could encapsulate that. Would you like to share some of them with us? Cunt, fuck, motherfucker, shit balls. Oh, I don't know anymore. Jesus, you kiss your mother with that mouth? <laughs> Ow. Ow. Stop. You can't make me laugh. It has to be a very serious podcast because my lungs That's hurt. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Do you want to like, just for the sake of the listeners, do you want to give us like a rundown of like day by day? So you got it like a week ago, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, right. So from when I noticed, I mean, obviously I, I kissed my man and she rang me and she was like, listen, I'm calling you now, but you need to call everyone you've been with too. Because I have COVID. Um, yeah. And I gotta say, actually, doing the contact tracing, it does remind me a lot of when I had syphilis. But I didn't get that from my ma. I mean, I'm glad. Yeah. So, okay, so all of that <laughs> happened. And then from the time that I noticed I wasn't feeling well. So day one, I'm a little bit like, oh, you know, I'm a bit off. I'm a touch off. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go to bed early. But it's not a big deal. I think I'm overtired. I think I'm wore out after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Day two was actually the day that I got the contact tracing text. And hey, Jesse, we're like, we think you might have COVID. And I was like, funnily enough, I had a big sleep and I'm doing no better. So I think that too. Mm. And here's where it actually gets quite weird. So day one, fine. The beginning of day two, not bad. By the end of day two, I was like, I couldn't really stand. I was very Jesus. like weak and floppy and like my muscles just were having none of it. Um, I had a fever. You were, you were you were a flaccid human. Literally, yes. I was just, yeah. have you ever been an earthworm? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's great. It's just like not having bones for a little while. Um, yeah. yeah, so I had like the fever and the cough and the thing most of the symptoms are things that you know about, things that you're you're expecting. I knew I was going to lose my sense of smell, and then I did, which I think is the only symptom that my husband actually got worried about me. When I was like, oh, baby, I can't stand and I can't walk, he was like, you big rand. I've seen you sicker than this. But when I stopped, because I normally have an insane sense of smell, like it's really high compared to most people. When I stopped... Hmm telling him what the next door neighbors were having for dinner every night. At that point, he was like, wait, what? Usually he knows that it's about 5, 6 p.m. Because I'll go, oh, bacon and cabbage, two doors down. Oh, lasagna next door. (gasps) Kian, I think the lads across the way are having a curry. We should have a curry. And he said, that's what got to him. We were like three days in. He was like, oh my God, I have no idea what the O'Connors had for their dinner. Not a clue. I also like, like the idea that he, he lost concept of what time it is. He's just I like, think so, I don't know yeah. what time of day it is because Emma yeah. hasn't been smelling dinners. <laughs> that, but also when I smell other people's dinner, that's how I know that I should make my dinner. So everyone's okay. fucking starving. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. We have a small child. He needs to get fed. I'm going to have to like get my sense of smell back soon. That's what never <laughs> You happen. have fed him at some point in the meantime, or someone has. Well, no, much. to be fair, I've been locked in my room because I'm Good, a dirty okay. germ bag. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah. your man, the husband has been feeding him and he doesn't seem to be complaining about it too loudly. So we'll assume it's going okay. okay. Um, day good. three, I think I was asleep. I think I just slept all day. I've been sleeping Good. about... I think I've been sleeping between 15 and 20 hours every day. So getting up and doing this podcast is a big deal for me. I think I deserve a little boola bus. Thank you. Um, yeah, day three, I was mostly asleep. That, I've, that was kind of a weird one as well, though, because all my sort of respiratory <clears throat> stuff 
sank in at that point and yeah. you can't lie down because your lungs are kind of wet and so it feels like you're being waterboarded when you lie down it's have you had pleurisy or like a bad chest infection before yeah no i've experienced the thing you're talking about all right it's yeah. not it's kind of weird when you feel yourself filling up a bit like a snow globe exactly, when you lie yeah. back and stuff yeah. yeah and you can kind of feel your lungs sloshing around in a way that they definitely shouldn't but you also no, can't no. sit up straight because you're too like woozy and feverish and floppy and weak to support the entire weight of your own fucking skull. Which brings us to my favorite symptom. The one I didn't know to expect. What happened to my brain, Chase? Um. My brain has been hot and dry for nearly Ooh. a week now. Now, most things about me are hot and dry at the moment. Oh, God. Which is another thing that I had to discuss with my husband at great length. It's been tough oh, on great. him. Tough. I can imagine. Yeah. But, but yeah, like my eyeballs are hot and dry. My throat is hot and dry. It's very uncomfortable. But my brain in particular feels inside my head like it is hot and dry. And it never occurred to me before now. But I think is usually anyway, my, my brain might be cool and moist. All the time? That's your... Yeah. I think so. I think in some un- imperceivable... I think in some imperceivable capacity, I've been walking around with like a cool, moist brain and I've been taking it for granted until now. I just, honestly, my I switched off and you said hot and dry because I was just thinking of like South Carolina barbecue. Have Oof, you been experiencing no. mustardy thoughts? I mean, I wouldn't know if I had, so... You couldn't taste it anyway. You couldn't taste your own brain. <laughs> I can't smell my own face. I can't taste my own brain. It's it's a bad time. I can hardly smell my own face. Mm-hmm. I always um, like that expression. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're now on day seven. And yeah, you're kind of coming out of it a little bit. day seven. I'm halfway through. and I mean, I'm okay. halfway through my quarantine, but I think I'm over the worst of my symptoms, to be honest. I feel okay today. I'm still very sleepy and floppy. Yeah. But, you know, I'm less hot and I'm less dry. And I haven't coughed in hours, so that's good. Yeah, well, that's, uh, congratulations. Well done on making it through. I meant to say, how did you find lockdown Christmas? Oh, my God. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I just just miss the bagpipes. They're a thing only in New Ross. You said this to me before, and the bagpipes aren't a thing anywhere else. Christmas bagpipes. You're missing out. What about Glasgow? Everyone they I have know, They have bagpipes on Hogmanay. That'd be New Year's Day. You wouldn't have them on um, on Christmas Day. Really? Yeah, because it's the bagpipes ring out on Hogmanay and the bells were ringing out for Christmas Day. Okay. I, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Quite simple. Okay, I feel like I should contextualise this. So really, really quickly. The town I'm from, we have a local district pipe band. Our pipe band are... You know what? I... Yeah, I'm from New Ross. New Ross Town and District Pipe Band are like world champions. They're amazing. They're incredibly talented. You should hear them doing the score to Game of Thrones. It's very impressive. Every Christmas Eve, they do a parade. They they go through the town. They dress up as Santas and different you know Christmas characters, and they play the bagpipes. <clears throat> and I was 26 when I found out Christmas bagpipes aren't a thing. It's just in New Ross. It wasn't until Kian moved here and I was like, oh my God, the Christmas bagpipes. And he's like, yeah, put them on then. And I was like, no, you don't put it on. You go to it. And he was like, I'm sorry, are you making me go to a bagpipe concert? And on Christmas Eve, no less. I was like, I'm sorry, are you from an actual cave? So yeah, we couldn't do it this year. Everyone had COVID. I also like the point that you were the one who was from an actual cave in that that complete (laughs) conversation. You're the one who's from your house where it doesn't exist or else. Also, how did the children all get to sleep with the pipes playing for Santa to come? Well, they play in the daytime. Uh, They kick off around like 2 or 3 p.m. Okay, okay. So as an Irish person... as an Irish person who's been through COVID, if you were to give a stereotypical Irish response to the question, how are you, what would you say? I'm grand. Of course I'm grand. And that would be an example of... Is this what we're going to talk about? It's toxic positivity. You always write these songs and never make me a part of it. I always feel so left out. Um, what is toxic positivity? Oh, <laughs> I feel like you should know that. 
I feel like you should have done your research before, but sure, Chase, I'll tell you. Um, okay, so really quickly, let's sum up what toxic positivity actually means, because it sounds like an oxymoron. Yeah, and very. It, it's counterintuitive when you hear it at first. But basically, it means, you know, when you're being just relentlessly, aggressively optimistic and like constantly super positive about everything to a point where it actually gets in the way of your emotions and it causes you or maybe enables you to ignore the things that you're feeling or to ignore the things that other people are feeling and trying to talk to you about. So for example, you know, your friend comes to you, they're upset and you tell them everything's going to be okay. And I trust you mean well, but what you're actually doing is you're shutting down a conversation that they're trying to have. That's how toxic positivity works. Yeah. And um, it's kind of just a way of either one, putting up a barrier between yourself and the world or two, suppressing your true self, which as we all know, doesn't really do any good things because, you know, from time to time, we all get sad. And then we let it fester and shoot up office buildings. No? Too far? <laughs> My song was a little cheery. Mine was just sometimes we get sad. You're like mass murdering. Um, <laughs> I did a little I dance, took a, you know. <laughs> yeah, they you can't want. see that. <laughs> That's not my uh, fault. <laughs> we'll start a vodcast next time. Um, I got some signs uh, from a few psychological websites about what toxic positivity, how to look out for it. Because if you're not, say you're a bit clueless and you've just heard what Emma described there, you might relate to some of these things and go, oh, that's what I'm doing. So uh, number one is like hiding, masking your true feelings, kind of a common one. I think we all do that to some extent. That's not necessarily... I Correct. Mean, a little bit of keeping your personal business personal is okay. It's fine not to break down crying in Tesco. Yeah. If you want to save that for your car, that's that's your business. Yeah, but keeping everything to just yourself forever, that's a problem. Yeah, not good. What is it? No Too man right. is an island? Uh, I think no person is an island at this stage. I, um, I'm sure, but I don't think it's the original quote. No, probably not. Uh, another one is trying to just get on with it by stuffing or dismissing your emotions. I, I think people do that quite a lot. They're just like, I'll carry on and get through it. And then at the end yeah. of the week, having got through a work week, they're fucking devastated, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, feeling guilty for what you feel. I haven't experienced that one as much. I have ignored my feelings, but I've never like taken a feeling and gone, oh, it's bad that I had that feeling, because that wouldn't be particularly healthy either. I have definitely experienced that. Okay, you There's feel guilty for having feelings. There's definitely been times, yeah, where I was like, oh... I shouldn't have been so sad that day. I made it about myself. Which, it's not healthy, and I also don't think it's rational. I don't think it's something that, like, a balanced, sane, rational brain comes up with on the fly. No, I wouldn't have thought so either. Um, True, actually. Uh, Minimizing other people's experiences with feel-good quotes or statements. And that one... uh, I've I've seen that happen in a bar where someone is telling someone something absolutely tragic that's gone on with their life and they're like, ah, you know, it'll be all right. Like, no, it won't. She's dead. <laughs> uh, the one, I don't know why, but I feel like my dad used to say this. I think this is a relatively common Irish expression from when we were kids anyway, that people would always yeah. go, well, there's starving children in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've heard that one before. This no, I know. might be the, that's the next one over again. No, that's the next one. I've heard that before, and that's mm. giving someone false perspective. Yeah. Like if you try and say, "Well, the starving kids," it's invalidating their experience. Yeah. Now, there's a level at which you can engage in that constructively, which is that if someone says, "Oh, because of COVID, we can't go to Ibiza this year, or we can't go on our skiing holiday," it's perfectly acceptable to say, "It really could be worse, guys." Yeah. Quit your moaning. You're not going to Ibiza. But your granny's not dying, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or also, granny doesn't get to go to Ibiza too, so that kind of sucks. I feel like you're trying to imply that not all positivity is a bad thing, and I just want to shut that shit right down, Chase. This is emo era with Emma. You know that. (laughs) We aren't having emo era. The emos went extinct. The way of the dodo and the emus. Oh, I recently found out they didn't. But that's that's for a different episode. They all just went and got into K-pop. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, sh- another one is shaming or chastising others for expressing frustration um, or anything other than positivity. So if someone says, I've had a bad day and you're like, oh, chin up, let's get a beer. Why aren't you happy? You're out. You've got crisps. 
I've, I've seen a good bit of... Come on now, don't be talking about that. You're making a scene. You're embarrassing oh, Josie. Oh, yeah. Josie doesn't that. want to hear about your troubles. I don't know who Josie is, for the record. If your ma is named Josie, why doesn't she want to hear about my troubles? I am very sorry to hear that the pussycats were having troubles, though. Um, <laughs> brushing off things that are bothering you with a, it is what it is. And I think that's a very individual one as well. But I've definitely done that, where you're like, oh, nothing I can do about this. And it might be true, but like doesn't mean I'm not sad, should really be in that moment and feeling that sadness. I mean, I definitely do that one at least once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just to make it interesting, there was actually a study by James J. Gross and Robert W. Levinson, both doctors, I believe, from Stanford and Berkeley University. Uh, it happened in 1997. Remarkably, only women test subjects. I'm not really sure oh. why. I didn't look into it. Uh, it just said only women subjects. But anyway. Okay, let's assume there's a good a reason. Um, yeah, so it happened in 1987. They showed a bunch of videos to a group who were told to show their emotions and another group who were asked to conceal them as best as possible. And they found almost immediately testing afterwards that the ones who did show their emotions were exhibiting pretty normal physiological responses. And the ones that weren't uh, had a huge amount of physiological arousal, not in the good sense, just like as in their body was ready to go and adrenalized and stuff. Uh, because it takes a serious amount of effort for you to hold in your feelings. Mm-hmm. And that really takes its toll in the body. Like people get strokes, heart attacks, um, Seizures can occur, uh, high blood pressure, uh, breathing disorders, panic Mm -hmm. attacks, anxiety is obviously a result of this. Like, it's incredible when you think about it, just how much on a day-to-day basis even we have to do that. Yeah. I I actually had to speak to one of my friends recently who was like, oh, my kid cries at everything. And I was like, yeah, of course your kid cries at everything. Like, you know, they're, they're a little kid, they're in lockdown, it's tough, they're a kid. And she's like, yeah. no, but I mean like actual tears, like wet face every 10 minutes. Now, I don't know if folks at home know this, but when you cry, your tears, like that's actually how your body excretes stress hormones. That's why they're salty. That's why they're salty, exactly. And there's wonderful images, if you care to go on your browser of choice and look them up, of tears that you give for different reasons. For example, tears of joy under a microscope, they have different composition to tears of stress or tears of rage or grief or different things like that. It's actually a really important physical process. Yeah. And if you turn to stone, the tears of a Pokemon can wake you up. Good to know. Very Mm. important. But it is, it's something I think that is It's something that's really interesting, particularly in regard to parenting or, you know, dealing with small children. It's a very common parenting error, I'm going to say, that I see, or at the very least, it's a very common parenting technique that I really adamantly disagree with and dislike. No shame. If you're listening, this describes you, you know, that's, that's your thing, but I think you should work on it. Where people are telling their kids, you know, oh, stop crying, calm down, you can't have a tantrum, you can't throw yourself on the floor in the middle of Tesco and beat cans of beans off the lino, you can't get so angry that you drop trow and take a dump on the carpet, oh, you can't be this way. Now the thing is, you're, you can teach toxic positivity to small children. And when you do that, when you rob them of their upset moments and of their big, cathartic, sobbing, crying moment, you're actually preventing them from learning how to process these feelings and how to face these situations. And if you take these kids who have been emotionally muted, fast forward 20 years and give them any kind of problem, they're not going to know what to do. They're going to freak out and melt down because they have no experience of their own inner workings. Being sad takes time, even when you're small. Um, in fact, it probably takes more time when you're small because you're not used to dealing with it. Absolutely. I would imagine. Everything's new. Everything's confusing. I was having a great time. Now I'm on the outside. It's very dry and loud. You know. Mm. And, and, and I think uh, we were talking about before the call, this actually ties a lot into toxic masculinity. We're going to do a masculinity podcast at some case anyway. We'll get into that, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. Toxic masculinity um, is way too much to tack on to the edge of toxic positivity, but the two are definitely intrinsically linked. 
I think it's the embodiment of it. Telling kids to suppress their emotions and hold them in all the time is what leads to these problems we see from men in the world. A lot of the problems in the world right now are kind of caused by this sort of Mm -hmm. child-rearing process in many ways. And it is something that is disproportionately affecting our sons, our little boys, when they're told to man up, be a man. Which apparently, seemingly it means stop showing people your emotions. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it means stop having feelings. And unfortunately, quite a lot of men have responded to that with, okay. Yeah, which I I suppose, as we know now, not a good thing. No, not particularly. Um, As it happens, the psychologygroup.com had a great article on toxic positivity that I took a lot from for Mm -hmm. for this. Um, But they had this little passage that I thought was quite important. Lovely wee snippet, a tidbit, if you will. A bijou strollette through the words of uh, the psychologygroup.com. It's important to acknowledge the reality of our emotions by verbalizing them and moving them out of our bodies. This is what keeps us sane, healthy, and relieves us of the tension caused by suppressing the truth. Once we honor our feelings, we embrace all of ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And accepting ourselves just as we are is the path to a robust emotional life. And I think that's spot on. A robust emotional life. Yeah. That's a lovely quote. That's very wordy. A lot of 10 euro words in there. Uh, there's a few there might even be a 15 one at some point um, although it could have been a counterfeit note but I definitely think robust is a good way to look at it because if you're thinking about your life in terms of you know happiness joy versus sadness yeah. and you accept the idea that you're going to be sad sometimes how are you ever going to really experience joy if you've been suppressing sadness all the time or will it always be tainted by it in some way for sure yeah I'm a huge believer that you know none of your feelings are actually useful or What's the word I want, Chase? Pragmatic. None of your feelings can properly exist in isolation from each other. You need... Oh, they all exist comparatively. Comparatively. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, no, you, you need to experience a full spectrum of human emotion every day. Like how I experience a full spectrum of human sexuality every day. <laughs> or I experience a whole spectrum of cheese wheels on a Friday. Though, I I want to circle back to your phrasing there. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think it's enough to accept that sometimes we have to be sad. And I think it is a problem that is relatively common where we are. We're just accepting sadness as the price we pay to get the prize, which is joy. And in this way, like... We're just dramatically overvaluing the moments that, you know, make the dopamine go and undervaluing the moments that we can actually really learn from and that we can really treasure and say, okay, this is a memory where maybe I didn't have a good time, but it's significant. It's part of who I am. It's part of my life. It's part of my story. I learned a lot of things. That guy was there. I like him. You know, we need to be putting more stock into our negative experiences. I think you're 100% correct. I mean, you cannot learn those lessons without experiencing that sadness, but also like at the same time, I, yeah, I think I would happily take back my phrasing of that. I, I wouldn't say that you have to experience sadness to experience joy or that you need to get through it. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. Valuing it is very important. Yeah. It's a spectrum. It is indeed. Have you anything more to say on the individual and toxic positivity? Um, yes, actually. I feel like we've done a lot of what not to say. Oh, yes. Okay. So I've pulled a handful of phrases. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh shit, I've been toxically positive all along. Ah, how do I fix it? So here are some expressions like that I've learned to start using myself and other ones I just found online that I think are really good to replace and to work them into your vocab going forward. So you can say, I'm here if you want to talk. It sounds like that was really hard for you. I can see that you're stressed by this. Take as long as you need. Tell me all about it. And this one's really important and really valid. I understand that you're having a hard time, but I am not available. Or I can see this is hard for you, but I'm not equipped to deal with it. That seems fair. I'm with that. Yeah. That's a good one. Like, it's important I had to allow day. yourself to step back. 
True. I had it the other day when I was talking to a friend of mine who, like, young kid, been stuck home and locked in all the time. Was it uh, me? was talking about... <laughs> no, it wasn't you. Younger kid, actually. Much oh, younger. Um, yeah, yeah, early. And uh, they were saying how hard it is being isolated, how you forget to be your own person and stuff like that. And then they were like, oh, well, it could be much worse. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't invalidate your feelings. That's yeah. the whole point. How could I mean, it? It could be worse, but that doesn't make you feel better now. Hmm. No, it never does. Um, should we move on to the next topic? Um, as far as I can see, I think we should. Okay. So I got very, very, very wanky as I was... Um, as you, know, you are what to do. As I am oh, tell do, me you little... have one of your patented lectures. Also, it's not quite a lecture. Sorry, are you chewing gum in class? Yeah. Okay, well, I clearly can't tell you not to. I know, you're not even in the same room as me. We do this over <laughs> Zoom. Anyway, I've done a big wanky, not philosophical lecture, but just thinking about toxic positivity um, and how it affects the self by us not solving any problems, by, you know engaging in this sort of forced optimism i kind of thought about how that could exist from a sociological standpoint like as a communal experience and so i wrote a little essay i'll allow this if you use the term sociological imagination because it's like cellar door it's just one of those wonderful combos of words well okay um i'm gonna read out my essay uh you can chime in have some questions join in or rebuke my arguments, by all means. They have a little COVID-induced nap while you talk. <laughs> Why not? And I'll just, I'll just conjure up this thing from my sociological imagination. <laughs> You're using it wrong. Oh, shut up. One of the tenets of the Buddha and one of the most important aspects of mindfulness is that existence is suffering. You cannot live your life without feeling grief, sadness, anger, fear or loss at some point. Accepting that you're going to feel these feelings, as we've discussed, is the only way to live a healthy emotional life. And this is far more of a hot take than a fact. In fact, it's far more of an observation than any sort of academic study. But I'd argue that it has its own merits. I think toxic positivity is not just something that individuals experience, but it's actually a systemic phenomenon as well. Mindfulness itself has kind of become a new capitalist spiritualism. Mm -hmm. Everything is individualistic. Everything is linked to how you feel and how you perceive. And it has its benefits. If you suffer from anxiety, depression, mental health issues, if you're a victim of trauma, have body depersonalization disorders, if you're just simply someone who works too hard or too little, mindfulness has a lot to offer you. It can allow you to live your life in a much happier way because you're allowing all of the grief and sadness into your life without letting it cripple your goals and aspirations. And that is not something to ignore. But in a larger sociological spectrum, it does have its downsides. Obviously, this is a huge concept, so I'm going to get a bit of the old Socratic abstraction to discuss it as a micro example. Let's imagine I'm in a shop, buying my lunch, pay for my sandwich, I get my change and I walk into the shop and I see a homeless person sitting outside the shop, begging for change. In this moment, that homeless person is experiencing a whole host of emotions, probably. It's obviously tough being without a home, and I can only imagine the amount of self-doubt and, and flagellation that goes along with that. Now... I've seen this person as a human. My brain in some way empathizes. This person could be me or I them, and I want to help. So I placate my feelings of sadness by giving them some change, maybe even having a chat with them. And that, oh, and you now have a you point. feel like such a good guy. I actually have a little quote over this, and I was going to do it in a stupid My accent. name is Chase, and I'm the best guy ever. Sorry, do go on. So that placates my feelings of sadness by giving them some change and maybe having a chat with them. And that placates their immediate concerns for finding a bed for the night. And I leave thinking, wow, socialism in action. I've given what I did not need and it has helped someone who did need it. I am a good person, I think to myself. But it isn't that. And I amn't a good person. All of the structures pertaining to the circumstances that left this homeless person without their resources to live, any sort of semblance of a comfortable life, are still fully in place. I haven't done good for the world or society at large. I've simply placated my own sadness. And hey, on the plus side, I've also helped lift someone else's sadness for a short period of time. But this was, on the whole, a selfish exercise. Any questions so far? Nope, I'm with you. Fantastic. Don't slap a band-aid on something, call it change. What the fuck? Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me doing in one sentence what takes you multiple no, it, minutes. It, it, <laughs> It was because you taught. It was because you. I was talking about change, and you said slap a bandaid and call it change. I was like, why would I give him band aids? He's a homeless man. <laughs> because it turns out you're not actually the goodest guy ever. No, I am not oh, So now let's imagine this slap in the face. Sorry, I just visualized the band aid thing. What a dick move. Yeah, my friend used to give him lollipops that he bought in the shop. 
dick move as we well. We were kids. We were like 10-year-olds, though. Oh, like, then we it's okay. Kids. Oh, then it... Oh, I was going to say then it's kind quite of, sweet. Is it? It's a little sweet. You're giving what you have. Yeah. Anyway, now imagine this on a planet-wide scale. All of the suffering that is created through late-stage capitalism and our current political and economic power structures, and each individual is placating their own feelings rather than dealing with the issues that inevitably lead to further unjust human suffering. And you actually helped me out researching this, Emma, with a few examples of this, so I want to look at a few of these examples of how placating the individual sadness has actively led to continued human suffering. I love how me doing research has now become... You provided me with a few bits for my research. Do your own homework, Chase. Stop chewing gum in class. Do your own homework. I was I was the pretty boy in school. I never had to do my own homework. There was always. I mean, you're the pretty boy in this conversation, but I still think you should do your homework. (laughs) I'm the prettiest boy in this conversation. You are the prettiest boy in this conversation. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh no! Wait. Sorry. Sorry. I just realized the cat is here. (laughs) Do you want me to hold him up to the camera? He's very pretty. No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm sure he is. Um, the first example we came across comes from Vancouver, Washington. You would have sent this to me. Um, where a little boy sold keychains to pay off his schoolmate's lunch debt. Uh, just for the non-Americans listening, which are quite a few. Lunch debt is debt incurred by simply having lunch in school, as America's local tax structures force schools in certain areas to charge for lunch, even though it was originally planned to be given within the school system. Uh, many people paid hundreds of dollars for these keychains. Uh, one woman from Alaska bought over a hundred keychains just to hand out to people and share the story of what happened. But I feel like this is again the implication of several people's individual guilt, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So this is my issue. I this is why I wanted to talk about toxic positivity. To be honest, I saw this headline and I was like, "Wait, am I supposed to feel really good that this kid did a good thing?" Or am I supposed to fucking rage at the symptoms of late-stage capitalism? What is school lunch debt? Like, the existence of this article, the existence of this good deed, hinges on the fact that there are fucking eight-year-olds out there incurring personal debt by eating food. Ooh, got a bit more mad than I expected. It's all right, take a breath, take a breath, take a breath. It's okay, you should experience that feeling while you can. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, there is like a complete optimism in like, you know, seeing people pooling together to help. Sorry, this person's name was Keone, was the little boy who did it. And what a lovely little boy, what a kind little thing to do. It's quite inspiring, but it does nothing to solve the problem. It just resets the clocks for those debts to begin again. Yep. Uh, like, why is it that like, why not donate or vote to change the tax structure so that these school but lunches also, were like, covered, which just, they should be. Just to be clear, I don't think we're here to criticise Keone for not having the power to change No, we're criticising the fact structures. that the system relies on people like Keone to step forward and do these good things. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, like, like, that's so a I was involved for a while in the voluntary sector in Ireland, and this is not the reason why I don't do it. I don't do it anymore for personal reasons. But at the time, it kind of occurred to me a handful of times, I was like, wait, I'm now working 40 hours a week. No one's paying me to do any of it because these services don't fucking exist. Which they should do. Which they should do. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, We could get into a huge argument of America's tax structures, especially on a local level, because it's so stupid how their schools are paid for by the property taxes of who lives there. So wealthy areas get better schools, poorer areas get cheaper. If you're listening and you think the federal government of the US is fucking stupid... Go out and read a book about their small local governments and just brace yourself for a whole new kind of stupid. Yeah, you're in for a special treat. But let's move on to another example, because there's other ones. Uh, This one, also from Washington as it happens, was Haley Fort. Uh, Haley was a nine-year-old girl, and she's taken to building shelters for the homeless, even growing vegetable patches to feed the homeless staying in their own shelters. Here's the thing, that's fucking incredible. That nine-year-old girl has taken this huge initiative... And, like, she takes joy in helping the homeless. Stunning, beautiful, fantastic example of the kind of generosity that exists from the human spirit. But... Is that incredible, though, that this nine-year-old is now consumed with her fear for the lives of people in her community? Like, when I was nine, I think I just played with Robocop and My Little Pony all the time. I didn't have this shit to contend with when I was nine. I I will use two anecdotes to illustrate this, just as a point. So the first time I ever heard of a homeless person, I was out to dinner with my family and we saw a homeless person. 
And then my mom explained to me, like, oh, he doesn't have a house to go to. And I cried at the dinner table for a oh. solid, like, hour and a half oh, until the waitress at the thing promised to bring out, like, a thing, like, a, a thing of pasta, I think it was, mm. to the guy. And then I was told he'd probably get a bed for the night. I don't know if he actually did. Yeah. Um, and another example is of my brother, which I thought was pretty. This is this is kind of Wait, gallows is your humor. Brother that I thought. Homeless? No, is he's he okay? not. No, Does no, no. he want to come and stay with me? <laughs> no, no, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Does he this want to come stay funny, with me anyway? He's better off than me, so he's probably doing fine. Okay, but um, does he look like you? Uh, no, not really, actually. Yeah, forget it then. Oh, then you want him? Okay, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Uh, no, he he. We were going up Grafton Street in Dublin, mm. and we saw like three or four homeless people in a row. Or so it was buskers. We saw it was buskers, and every time the busker went up, he would go and be like, "Mammy, give me change for the man," and go and give change to the busker. And we got to the end, and there was a homeless guy. And he was like, "He's not even trying." <laughs> oh my god. Brother, no. I <laughs> ah, look. He was a kid. He was younger than I was at that point. Like I, that was the okay. homeless conversation for me. I was like four or five. He would have been like maybe two or three. I don't know. Yeah, barely talking anyway. Um, Funnily enough, we did that with my kid. Uh, okay, uh-huh. so I used to be involved with a Irish political party who I won't name, but trust me, they're leftist. <laughs> um, and I'd been to an event with them and I didn't have childcare. They were like, oh, bring the kid. And I was like, great, I'll bring the kid. And so we're leaving this like uh, event centre conference room thing and we're walking down the street and me and the kid, we stop to like say hi to a homeless person, give him some money and whatever. Um and we, you know, we walk along with the group of people that were with who had attended the event with us. And my child was four at the time. Actually, he might have been three. And he turned around and he started criticizing, like, one of the kind of higher ups in the party. And he was like, you have to stop and talk to the man. And this guy who's like very, very involved in a leftist political party was like, oh, shit. Sorry, preschooler. Yeah, I'm going back to him now. Fuck. Been put in my place. <laughs> it's so true, though. There is that sort of effort in it, and that's the part of this story that kind of really annoys me. Is like it's cool to see that like this young girl has got this initiative, and it might not even be a fear for the lives. It's just she wants to do something nice. It's probably that simple a thought. She might not I have don't know. fleshed it out yet. I don't think she'd have fleshed it out yet. I looked at the video. She seemed fairly cheery. She wasn't crying, going, "I must save them all." She we was, are still you know, talking happy. about a child doing work because the government won't. Like, let's not shy away from that. I'm not shying away from that. I'm just saying, like, this is a great example of human spirit. How lovely to see the kindness that exists in children as well. But maybe others see the story. They say they'll donate. That's one thing that happens. But if you see this and donate and vote for anti-homeless and classes political ideologies in your next election cycle, aren't you just creating more work for Haley to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Get your microwave because this take is freezing cold. Oh, wait. This take is... <laughs> Hot and dry. <sighs> we haven't done that since the Marine Life podcast. Really? Yeah. Um, it's quite some time ago. <laughs> there you go. I like that we still got it, though. That was seamless. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> I have just now decided, because uh-huh. of the way late-stage capitalism and voluntary sectors work, and because children are inherently compassionate, they just are. You can try and teach them not to be, but they keep doing it anyway, in spite of what I tell them. Mm-hmm. Anyone who votes for neoliberal anti-homeless bullshit is actively creating space for children to do work. So, if I might stretch a little further, if you vote for Fina Gale, you are now complicit for child slavery. <laughs> okay Ow. that's not a hot take that was just a <laughs> one last example that's very important let's talk about captain tom moore oh, uh, everyone heard tom about this guy but wait the real one or the drone lighty yuppie one because there's two of them. the real now. one okay oh with the real one yeah yeah okay uh, at the ripe old age of 99 he attempted to walk the length of his garden 100 times before his centennial birthday to raise money for the nhs Captain Tom is a wonderful man. He is kind for doing what he did and is an example to all of us. When the system can't help, and even if you have little resources, there is always something you can do. And that's great. 
But the Conservatives have been in power for nearly 10 fucking years now, and they managed to cut the funding to the NHS so much that it couldn't act during a crisis that was predicted by every expert in the world. Mm-hmm. We can all feel great looking at Captain Tom, and I genuinely do, but isn't the fact that a 99-year-old man has to undertake this, or felt he had to undertake this, kind of monstrous? Oh my god, it's awful. It's horrific. Like, I mean... We now have nine-year-olds doing hard physical work. We have hundred-year-olds doing hard... Fi- and to- he, he's a veteran of what? What did he... Uh, World War Two. He's a veteran of World War Two. Yeah. And this is the thing as well that really annoys me about it, is that people even outside of um, television, like on the Big Fat Quiz of the Year, they were like, Captain Tom Moore, what a man. Gordon Ramsay saying the same and thing on all of YouTube. Is, Captain Tom Moore, what a man. But isn't that toxic positivity encapsulated entirely? They're all saying, oh, look at how great this guy is doing for the NHS instead of going like, look how shit the Tories were and how they could have actually really, really, really done well in this crisis if they'd just been prepared and not been defunding the NHS for the last 10 years. It's disgraceful. I'm not here to knock any, you know, British old people or any American children or any... No. As you can see, I think looking through all these examples, we can see very clearly that toxic positivity is actually something that occurs on a societal level. Would you agree, Emma? Yeah, completely. And it is definitely something that's perpetuated by news media. Mm, Definitely. And it it is. It's kind of worrying to me as as a representative from the woke planet. I find this concerning because it is a way for us to shield ourselves from the actual like dilemmas of society because it's very difficult and it's very big and it's very scary for my brain to go okay well i've got poor social mobility public services i rely on are very underfunded there's a general lack of access lack of opportunities yeah all all of these problems are crippling and they probably mean that i'm not going to become a trizillionaire or whatever is a number what's easy for my brain to digest is Aw, that hundred-year-old man is really sweet and cute and he makes me feel better because he's doing something good and something good is happening. Things are changing. Mm. Things are changing, but they're fucking not. And they're not going to unless we... I hate to be one of those guillotine people. (laughs) Don't go too far into it. (laughs) No, I'm not going to start guillotining people. Um, but yeah, it's not going to start to change unless we start to really push back and argue with it and dissect it and use logic. Yeah, there's got to be a new era of critical thinking. And I think Ooh. it's coming up with the next generation anyway. But uh, oh, the next generation, another top for the podcast. I mean, you know how often I sing the praises of Gen Z. I just love them. I love them so much. Yes, so I know. Much. But we'll deal with them on another podcast. I think that's the end of our Toxic Positivity podcast. Thank you very much, Emma. Yeah, that's the end. I could have gone on for days. Never even brought up direct provision. You'd swear (laughs) we almost had to discuss it twice. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Uh, Would you give me permission to uh, give us some final words, let us out here? Start the new year off with a bang. (sighs) Is it going to be, like, fun or... What did you have planned? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fun. Did yeah, you yeah, submit yeah. A lot the forms? Of fun. I submitted all the forms, ticked all the boxes, crossed all the T's, did it all the I's, and I'm pretty sure I rue all the boats. Okay, well, you know that I don't check my emails, so I'll just assume you're telling the truth. Please, play us out, keyboard cat. Thank you very much. So, 2021 is upon us. New Year, New Me, and several other toxic platitudes have ubiquitously infected our social media spheres. And frankly, I think it's a disgrace. You want to be a new you? You need to visit a new doctor and a new psychiatrist and accept the fact that the old you is the new you. You've just gained or lost weight, hair, sanity, or an interest in Netflix. (laughs) This year does, however, bring with it hope in the form of a vaccine. To the extroverted among us, it carries the glimmering shimmer of a normal outdoor summer, maybe even a holiday. And to the introverted among us, it holds the same normal outdoor summer and holiday like a switchblade, vigorously (laughs) gesturing towards our wallet of happiness and contentment while eyeing up the pearl necklace of serotonin around our necks. (laughs) Due to COVID-19, I spent much of the year thus far trying to look on the positive side of things, which is probably what led to the covering of toxic positivity in this podcast. Consistently trying to look on the bright side is not just exhausting, but as we discussed, is often counterproductive to solving any actual problems. However, there are steps we can all take to ensure that instead of forcing ourselves to look on the bright side, 
we can accept our reality while also setting ourselves goals to achieve during the coming months. As a culinary enthusiast, or as it's more commonly known, Instagram dinner picture sharer, <laughs> I've held the dream of competing on a cooking show for years. Of course, my irrational fear of sieves rules out Bake Off, my insecurity and inferiority complex rules out MasterChef, and my extreme contempt for Gordon Ramsay's forehead and anyone who willfully ignores it rules out all of the F-word. However, I have the fortune with sharing you the news that I have been accepted onto the next series of Come Dine With Me, a show where people who aren't chefs pretend to be chefs and convince other people who aren't chefs that they could be better chefs than them, if indeed any of them were chefs, which of course they are not. I am, however, very excited at the prospect of performing some culinary feats for the camera and attempting to win over my fellow dinner guests. Obviously, a show that involves four people visiting a home to eat food at the same table is currently very different under COVID restrictions. So my episode will be me, cooking for the four different personalities I've developed over the course of the last lonely year. It will of course present a difficult task in that each of these personalities has their own opinions on taste and composition. My adult self will want to avoid gluten and dairy for fear of inducing intestinal discomfort. My ego will refuse to eat anything I prepare, claiming that it could cook it better than I had. My inner child will bemoan the use of peas, despite having said they liked them only two days previously. All of these challenges, of course, pale in comparison to impressing my conscious self, as he will be drinking the red wine jus in the hope of getting drunk, while trying to carve the words stop the spread into the mashed potatoes. Upon seeing this message, my adult self will reach over and attempt to console my conscious self with talk about hope and vaccines. My ego will arrogantly announce that the alcohol was cooked out of the red wine jus, and that anyone would know that. And the child will ask what beard the dots means, having only been able to view the potato message upside down from across the table. (laughs) All of this chaos will of course resolve itself by the end of the evening, when the simple act of opening the box of after eights will force my mind to absorb all aspects of my consciousness back into their physical form. Presented with reality before me, I can see the action figures and toys that represented those aspects of myself surrounding the dinner table, accompanied by the Chicago town pizza that I've just harumphed down my throat in a fever dream of existentialism. I wipe the tomato sauce from my face, and the face of the mirror opposite me, and stare listfully into my own eyes, grateful that I opted for the Chicago town and not the Goodfellas, as the Goodfellas never has enough cheese and doesn't have a stuffed crust option. I'll clear the table, load the dishwasher and brush my teeth. I'll go to bed and close my eyes and attempt to sleep, knowing that tomorrow brings a new day. A new day for me to gleefully look on the bright side, while subconsciously planning my next trip to home base to steal all of the sieves. (laughs) I may be afraid of them, but if you can think of a better tool for stealing koi from the local parks, I'd like to hear it. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week. Good vibes only, folks. Wonderful to speak to you. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.